Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This episode of Around the Oval is brought to you by Todd Pennington with Revolution Mortgage. Hey, Ohio State fans. Alex Fleitman here back with another edition of Around the Oval brought to you by Todd Pennington with Revolution Mortgage. We're continuing our weekly series of having uh, a writer from the opposing team come on every week during the season. Uh, today we have Sean Fitz from Lions 24-7, the Penn State site in the 24-7 Sports Network. Sean, thanks for joining the show. Of course. Thanks for, thank you guys for having me. You guys are doing a great job. Thanks, man. appreciate it. Sean is absolutely... Uh, was my was my guy when we were when I was at Buck Nuts in twenty four seven, but you know, been fortunate enough to keep in touch and uh shared some good intel over the years on uh Penn State Ohio State recruiting battles. And speaking of Penn State recruiting, uh I think Ohio State fans have been used to James Franklin and the Nittany Lines being a kind of a thorn in the side of the Buckeyes on the recruiting trail. This year not so much. Uh in their twenty twenty one class they're ranked thirty first nationally eighth in the Big Ten. I think the only top 200 kid they have is Landon Tangwell. Uh, Tangwell, um, Sean, tell us a little bit, why do you think Penn State has been struggling a bit on the recruiting trail this year? Well, it's been a weird cycle and you know, 2020, that makes sense because 2020 has been what it is. Um, but it's been a weird cycle because you go back to March and you're sort of building yourself up for this class. And I, and I understand that everybody's dealing with the same sort of set of circumstances, but y- you and I know that it's not everything is created equal across college football recruiting. Penn State is so reliant so heavily on getting these kids to campus officially, unofficially, whatever. Um, so you get maybe what, an eighth of the cycle, a quarter of the cycle um, before you really can't host anybody anymore. So you're, you know, you, you got to talk to these kids about waiting it out and all this kind of stuff. And now all of a sudden you can't get to campus and let's be honest, state college is, is it's different going to Columbus. Um, you know, when everything is shut down or whatever, than going to state college, which kind of in the middle of nowhere, tougher trip to make for a lot of people. So, you know, without those visits, without those on-campus visits, you don't really get that feel. And I think Penn state really, you know, there's a couple schools across the country, many of them sort of isolated, but, Penn State, you've got to get that feeling when you get on campus. And that's something that really has avoided kids and really has avoided, um, you know, just the the way that they've been able to do business on a day-to-day basis. And it's not been good. I mean, it's just, you kind of feel good about some guys and all of a sudden it just kind of lags and you fall behind. And then all of a sudden you have to go in a different direction. 
Now, I will say this about the class they have, 14 guys, pretty quality players in there. You mentioned Tangwall is the highest rank, but I don't think, I haven't seen themselves, or excuse me, I haven't seen the staff sort of overreach for guys. And I know that you know the, the, the rankings may not back that up on some of those guys, but I don't think that these guys would be uh, out of a different class, if, if that makes any sense. So I think they're solid with the guys that they have. It wasn't going to be, be a big class to begin with, but at the same time, you've missed on a bunch of guys. I mean, Landon Tang Tangwall is the, the highest rated guy, but you think Nolan Rucci, you think all these different guys in the uh, uh, in the state and in the region that have gone elsewhere. And there's been the, the misses have really piled up. So it's been, you know, it, it feels like it's been a lot longer than seven months dealing with this from a Penn State recruiting standpoint because it's just, you know, body blow after body blow. And it just uh, ha- not a ton has gone Penn State's way. Yeah, and one well, two things I wanted to ask you, and we'll talk about the coaching turnover a little bit when it comes to the impact on their team this year. But do you think, you know, the one thing I thought about was they they did have some uh, turnover on their coaching staff this offseason. And, you know, when you talk about being able to build those relationships with players, not being able to go out and see them or not having them come to campus and, and have that face-to-face interaction, it's just not the same as a Zoom call or whatever. And I think we saw Ohio State have – I don't want to say a setback in recruiting. They, they obviously did pretty well last year, but when they had a lot of new, uh, when Ryan Day took over for Urban Meyer and they kind of turned over their whole defensive staff, other than Myrie Johnson, they struggled a little bit recruiting on that defensive side of the ball. And they're starting to now see um, kind of the fruits of the labor of building relationships over a couple of years in 2021 and 2022. I guess, A, how much impact did that have on, you know, what I would call maybe their struggles or, or their slow, uh, slow uh, trot to the finish line here. And then the other thing I was thinking about was, you know, James Franklin was rumored for USC last year. Right now, you know, pending Urban Meyer doesn't go to Texas. He's a hot name for Texas. I personally don't think he's going anywhere, but um, does that play any sort of role in, into this? Uh, the second part, I, w- I would say not as much. I mean, he's, he's flirted with other jobs, I think, pretty regularly. So, um, you know, that's always going to be something that's looming over. You mentioned USC. Florida State wanted him last year, and obviously Florida, The uh, when Dan Mullen was hired, he was brought up there. So he's been a name that's been brought up everywhere. I think Texas is is one that, you know, eventually when that or if that job or when that job opens, he'll be a candidate there as well. So, I mean, it, I think it's just going to keep coming up, and and that's maybe something that stalls it, but pr- probably not as much as you would think. Um, the other, the coaching, the assistant coaching turnover is something that certainly, um, you know, we've looked into, we've had plenty of time to look into it, obviously, but We've looked into it a bunch, and and yeah, I think it definitely has impacted it. You look at when these guys came on board. Kirk Shiraka comes on board in late December. Now, it, it's a little different at Penn State because the coordinator, well, I guess a lot of schools do this, but the coordinators are kind of specialists on their position, and you know, Kirk Shiraka is going to recruit quarterbacks, but he's not going to go out and you know hit the pavement in New Jersey and Maryland and all these different places as an area recruiter. So that, that one really doesn't uh, do much on that aspect, but Bill Troutwine's hired in January. Gets you know strikes it up with Landon Tangwall. They've got Nate Bruce in the class who who they like a lot. Um, but you've got guys like Rucci. You've got guys like Tristan Lee. Wyatt Millam's committed to West Virginia. These guys, you know, high guys on the board, never visited while he was here, and he was here for a month, and then essentially that February dead period shuts it down. Uh, Penn State, the way that spring break, you know, this it, it, you talk about the hits keep coming. Penn State's spring break sort of aligns with that shutdown, so. As they're coming back, everything's shutting down. So some schools posted that first week of March. Penn State decided not to do that, thinking they'd be all right. Obviously, 
you know, they didn't see a global pandemic coming, but you know, here, here we are. Um, so I, I think that that's sort of gone into that Taylor Stubblefield's kind of the same way. I don't think he, uh, I don't think he actually, uh, hosted an offered wide receiver in that month that he was on campus. So and it's been tough to, to get into that. And then John Scott Jr. Joined the staff in February during that dead period. This, this is a class that you, you look, uh, from the numbers, you wanted numbers at receiver. You wanted numbers at defensive end because they have holes there. So some of these positions where they brought in new guys, they also needed to load up in this class. And that obviously hasn't been the case. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I think, you know, one guy they are still firmly in the mix for, though, is Derek Davis, uh, safety out of Monroeville Gateway High School in the Pittsburgh area. Obviously, uh, Penn State defensive back coach Terry Smith used to be the head coach there. Ohio State, uh, you know, dipped in there a little bit as well with Dorian Bell and Corey Pitt Brown over the years, um, a couple other guys. But you know, this this is a this is a classic Ohio State Penn State recruiting battle. Um, I for a long time thought Derek Davis was pretty much done to Penn State. Uh, then he shows up at the Buckeye Bash last weekend, the kind of unofficial uh, gathering of recruits at Jack Sawyer's house. They watched the game together, hung out on campus, spent time in Columbus. Derek went with his father, at least his father. I don't know if his mother went, but he's been to Ohio State a ton. So this was an opportunity for him to to spend time around a bunch of 21 commits. He was the only uncommitted player there and kind of see how he fits in. And this just comes a couple weeks before his final decision is set for November 7th. And that has me thinking a little bit like maybe Ohio State is going to be the pick here. What What are you hearing? What are your thoughts on Derek Davis? Well, it's interesting because when you set you you know as well as I do when you set a decision date, you usually have a decision in hand. You know, if it's a couple of weeks or a month out or whatever. I mean, this is not deciding on grandma's birthday on January fifth or whatever. Um, so usually you have that decision. So I felt pretty good about where Penn State stood, and, and I think something you said there was key. He was going to see how he fit in with those Ohio State commits, and that to me says that you know that's 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 a red flag to me. And given how this cycle has gone for Penn State, just one uh, gut gut punch after another, I mean, you kind of see this one sort of playing out the way that some of those other ones have. So, I mean, I I felt pretty good about Penn State before he made the trip. As you know, he was set to go to Georgia instead of Ohio State, turns around and goes to Columbus. And that's, you know, it's a big difference going to Columbus, Ohio. I mean, the Tommy Boy reference, Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, Georgia. I mean, that's a a big difference right there. So, I mean, it's... uh, it's, I could see this one being very up in the air right now. Like I said, I felt good about Penn State before, but the way that Ohio State's recruiting, and I know there's that they have a lot of defensive backs in this class, and I know Derek Davis has been a top target, you know, top top of the board target for Penn State for so long. But still, I mean, you, you look at what Ohio State has done, and they pretty well had their way. So it's tough to bet against the Buckeyes just for the sheer fact that you know they've done a great job of getting who they want. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see how that one plays out. Uh... You know, I, I, I've gone back and forth over the years with that one, and it just he, he keeps things close to the best. It's tough. I think, um, you know, he doesn't talk a lot. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He's, it's clear to me, it's clear. I mean, I know he's going to LSU this weekend, but it's Ohio State or Penn State. And, you know, it's, I don't think he could go wrong either way. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But talking about last week, um, obviously not. Uh, the happiest of times in Happy Valley, uh, overtime loss to Indiana, you know, a game that you know, I'm personally upset about because I had the under 62 and 
you know, if, if, if Penn State just goes down at the goal line, I think it was Devin Ford in regulation, and they just ice that game, that's an easy cover. But, um, you know, obviously it has to be frustrating for, you know, the, the Penn State fans, um, given, you know, they, they pretty much dominated that game. A couple turnovers and, and things like that caused Indiana to be able to stay in it. And then they had it one at the end, and then obviously, um, you know, kind of blew it. But just wanted to get your thoughts on that game and kind of, you know, what is, What's, what was kind of the reaction from everyone out there? And, um, you know, do you think that that's the type of loss that's like deflating for this team moving forward the rest of this year? Do you think it's something where it kind of puts their back against the wall and gives them a little extra juice heading into this week with Ohio State? Uh, let, let me hear your thoughts on that. Well, first off, if you need extra juice to play Ohio State, that's a problem to be in itself to begin with. Um, but yeah, I, I see that one as deflating. I mean, you saw how it ended with the, you know, you, you don't, you don't end too many games with a review as the very last play and that decides the last play, especially as close as that was. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, how your fans feel about it, but that was very, very, very close. Um, but no, I mean, it, it's just, they played like it was a non-conference game, not in the sense that they took Indiana lightly, but it was sloppy. They had a lot of things to pick, uh, to clean up three first half turnovers, two missed field goals, 10 penalties. Um, and it just kind of added up. And to be honest with you, I know, people get on James Franklin, you know, say he's not a good game day coach or anything like that. His teams have been fairly clean from that aspect in terms of keeping, you know, uh, keeping control of the ball, uh, not getting these boneheaded penalties. And then, you know, all of a sudden they end up with 10 wins at the end of the year. And I think a lot of it goes that way. So uh, a lot of what I saw rewatching it, you know, a lot of that's correctable. How much is correctable in a week before you play the best team in the big 10 and the, you know, one of the best teams in the country that's a tall order to me. So I think it's going to be a, a tough sledding, but I, I just, it was crazy to, to rewatch it and just see how close Penn State was. But at the same time, you know, how many things that they have to clean up. It, it, to me, it starts with Sean Clifford. Uh, you know, he's been a, a guy that you were hoping would take a step like Tanner Morgan took under Kirk Shiraka a couple of years ago. Just judging from the limited sample size that we have in the Indiana game, that hasn't happened. So He's got to be a guy that delivers them something. And, and right now, based on what we've seen in the last season plus, you just wonder if it's there. And, and to be honest with you, thinking back to Columbus last year, watching Justin Fields and watching Sean Clifford, I know he got hurt in that game, but seeing the gap between these teams at certain positions like quarterback, like wide receiver, that you know is kind of deflating in itself if you're a Penn State fan. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, well, for the record, I, I did not think Penix had the touchdown uh, or, or, you know, whatever, the, the two-point conversion. I 
I think given how they ruled it on the field, it was tough to overturn. Um, but, you know, to your point, that's, that's really a crazy way to end a game. I didn't think about how many games actually end with a review. Um, but for the record, for Penn State fans listening out there, I, I do not think that, that was actually good. But I understand that. You were too that. busy steaming at the under. So, I mean, I, I, was, I get it. I was. I was, but at that point I had already lost it. So, um, you know, anyway, but uh, yeah, I I think, you know, you mentioned something about the coaches and uh, this is interesting to me because it it didn't, I don't think it hurts staff as much that have continuity and things like that. Ohio State did have, you know, the Kerry Combs, Jeff Halfley change, but other than that, pretty much kept the same staff together. Penn State, as you mentioned, what was it? Three different coaches turned over? Four? Four four new coaches, including a coordinator. yeah, and without spring ball, uh, without, you know, having, you know, some of those summer periods and whatnot, and, and without having like a true camp, how much impact do you think that that had on Penn State maybe coming out a little bit sloppy and, you know, needing to work on uh, a number of things early in the season? I think it had a big impact. Uh, you look at where those position, cha- or excuse me, those coaching changes were, you bring in a new offensive coordinator, then you really don't get to work with him outside of, you know, in pads for more than a couple of weeks. I think that that's where that non-conference schedule comes into play. That's where those spring practices come into play. You have certain position battles where you're trying to cultivate depth. And, you know, it, I'll be honest with you, I mean, every rep they lose is, you know, a step in the wrong direction, especially from what we saw with, uh, you know, the SEC getting going and these other conferences getting going and the Big Ten sort of lagging behind. Now, you know, it might be something that eventually evens out, but it's still it's still tough to sort of... Uh, tread water while everyone else is swimming forward, if you know what I mean. So um, you look at that, you look at the offense. I, I thought the game was called fine. I think the execution was certainly far from crisp. The offensive line got a lot of flack the other night after rewatching it. I'm not sure that was completely justified. I think it's a, it's a solid unit up front and they sort of are playing a different scheme this year. And I think they fit that scheme a little better than they did last year, trying to find, you know, more creases than holes and, you know, just sort of mass movement in one direction. I think that the offensive line can actually turn around and be pretty good. Uh, receivers, I'm not sure that we saw enough from the receivers to say that, but I will say this, the defensive line uh, played pretty well. Jason Away has taken a big step in the offseason. He had plenty of pressure on Michael Penix. He didn't quite get home, but he was just always around there uh, altering throws, doing some certain things that that really made Michael Penix until he went, you know, just kind of like outerworldly on that last drive. Before he did that, he would really struggle, and I think it was a lot to do with the uh, the uh, pressure from uh, Jason Oway, Shaka Tony, Adisa Isaac, guys that get into the quarterback. So John Scott Jr., new de- new defensive line coach, even though Penn State did get the win, I thought had a pretty good first showing, um, you know, in, in his uh, coaching debut at Penn State. Yeah, definitely. And talk about the offense a little bit. Uh, let our fans listening know what do you feel are I guess. First, who are the key players, and then what are the strengths and weaknesses of that unit? Well, it's tough to say because we didn't see a ton of, uh, well, strengths, frankly, uh, <laughs> in terms of um, what they brought to the table this week. I mean, Clifford is the guy. I mean, he's got to be the guy that goes out and wins you games instead. You know, the days of the game manager, for where we're grading this team on this curve of we expect them to be um, competing with Ohio State, we expect them to be on one of those fringe playoff teams where he needs to be as a quarterback is kind of uh, a different story than how talented we think he is or, or whether he can make the throws or not. He's got to 
be able to adjust. He's got to, you know, he gets happy feet sometimes, starts scrambling. And, and to be honest with you, the, the offensive line did a better job of pass protection in, in week one than they did last year. But still, Clifford, you see some of the same mistakes that he's made last year. So it's, it's really all going to fall back on, uh, on, on Sean Clifford. Um, beyond that, you lose Journey Brown for the season. Journey Brown's their home run hitter at running back, uh, you know, or I guess he's out potentially for the season. Didn't say he was completely out, but Noah Kane is completely out. He followed up and he was going to start. He was basically probably going to be their 20 carry a game guy. So now all of a sudden you're working with Devin Ford, a true sophomore, talented kid. But I mean, if he's 200 pounds, I'd be surprised. And then two true freshmen behind him at running back. So that deep, talented running back room that we thought Penn State had, and I, I mean, let's be honest, I mean, Journey Brown's a really talented kid, Noah Kane, I think, as well. But all of a sudden, you take away the top two guys of that, it's very thin. Receivers still have to prove themselves. Tight ends are, you know, are, are what they are. Pat Fryer is one of the best, probably the best in the conference, one of the best in the country. Um, but I'm just wondering where the big plays are going to be. And, you know, if you're going to beat a team like Ohio State, you got to come through and you got to, you know, you got to hit those, those home runs, those big punches, those haymakers against a team like Ohio State. Um, and I'm just curious to see if Penn State has it in them to find where those are going to come from. It yeah, talk to me about the offensive line. It's been a, a point of discussion on our board. And, you know, some people are, are thinking that unit's really good or supposed to be really good. And there's a lot of concern about Ohio State's defensive line, especially after the first game. They obviously lost. Case Young from last year's team. They lost Robert Landers and Devon Hamilton and, you know, a couple other key pieces of the defensive line. I, I think that's going to be a key matchup, the Penn State offensive line versus the Ohio State defensive line. Um, how, you know, tell me about this Penn State offensive line. You know, they've got a lot of experience. They return, uh, I guess I'd call it four and a half starters. Um, Michael Mennett at center is, is big for them. Uh, Rashid Walker is probably the most talented at left tackle. Will Fries is a guy that's kind of been embattled, but you know he played better than anybody in Week One. So they've got guys that have played a, a good bit of football. You know, you're, if you're Penn State fans, you're hoping not to see Will Fries out on an island with uh, perhaps Chase Young. You know, whoever uh, Ohio State's best pass rusher would be this year. Zach, um, Zach Harrison, I guess. Zach, yeah. yeah, I guess it'd be Zach. But I mean, you've got. Uh, uh, I think it's a good group, and I think they they've moved to this zone scheme, inside zone, outside zone. Seems to be fairly, you know, simple for what they're doing. They move in one direction a lot, like Minnesota did under Kirk Shiraka in Minnesota. Well, I think played above their talent level up front. So, um, you know, you'd like to see that continue to go. I'm very high on what Phil Troutwine's able to do as an offensive line coach. So, I think it's going to come along. I, I'm curious to see how they change things because you look at the running game in Week One and it seemed tailor made for what they were going to do with Noah Kane. A lot of inside zone, a lot of things that were, you know, a 225, 227 pound back would do. Now you've got Devin Ford, who's 200 pounds. Now you maybe have to run Sean Clifford a little bit more and you put a little bit more pressure on that offensive line and those tight ends need to block. I thought it was interesting looking back, uh, you know, when Penn State had their short yardage runs that were stuffed or their negative runs or whatever. I think it was the tight ends that were largely, I don't want to call them at fault, but responsible for you know, the up and down blocking where, you know, you could spring that. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's a big difference between a yard in the backfield and three yards forward. So I think that that's going to be the key just to kind of get that and set that tempo from what I saw from, you know, and I watched, I think the first half of, uh, uh, of the Nebraska game, Nebraska was able to dictate some things up front. You really didn't see that. You, you haven't seen that against Ohio state in the last couple of years. So that front seven 
I'm not going to say they're vulnerable, but you know, it, it's, it's just a different look than we're used to seeing from an Ohio State front seven. Now, I think they'll get better. There's a lot of young talent up there. There's a lot of uh, you know fours and five stars and, and everything like that. But if you want to, if that is the time to catch Ohio State, you want to catch them early and sort of try to dictate that, try to milk the clock as much as you can and, and, and get things going from that perspective. Yeah, um, I'd, I'd agree with you. I, I definitely agree. I think running the quarterback uh, has been a key to success since dating back to like when Will Levis came in the game and then in the, in the contest after. And then, you know, obviously not having your top two running backs hurts, but if the offensive line can move the Ohio State defensive front, it's not going to really matter who's back there. They're talented enough to, to hit the hole and pick up some yards. And, and I, I think Penn State definitely wants to make this a dogfight and make this, you know, out physical Ohio State, especially up front. Um, I think one way they can do that is on the defensive line. This is going to be another key matchup. Ohio State's very good offensive line. They, they do replace two starters and, uh, you know, redshirt so- or I guess sophomore. Uh, I don't know if he's a redshirt freshman or sophomore, but second year offensive lineman, Harry Miller. It doesn't matter this year. Yeah, <laughs> it, it doesn't matter. Uh, but he did struggle a little bit um, in game one. Um, and, and, you know, Nick Petit Frere is a new starter, right tackle, and they're going to be going against a, a really good Penn State defensive line, in my opinion. Talk to me about the Penn State defense overall, not just the line. Who are the key players to know? And, and again, where, what are their strengths and what are the areas where maybe Ohio State can expose? Well, it, it's got to start up front. Uh, I think that the defensive ends is the strength, no question about it. Like I said, Jason Oway, Shaka Tony played very well uh, against Indiana. Adisa Isaac even got in there, uh, you know, had a sack late in the game that was, you know, he was flagged for a face mask that wasn't a face mask. Um, but no, it, it's, that's got to be that defensive line. I look to a guy like PJ Mustafer, and he's not going to fill up the stat sheet, but that was the guy that Indiana had to account for in every play. A lot of double teams coming his way, shook open Antonio Shelton for a tackle for loss, and Shelton made a couple of plays in there. So I, I think they're solid up the middle. I, it's going to be interesting to see how deep they can roll. They played redshirt freshman Hakeem Beeman uh, at defensive tackle, and he actually got a bunch of reps. Uh, Fred Hansard, who was also a backup, didn't play a ton. Um, and Judge Culpepper, who we expected to figure in there, didn't play at all in defense. So um, I- I'm curious to see whether this depth will be te- tested or if this is another case where they're going to roll with their big guns and roll with their first team uh, for the most part uh, every um, you know every series against Ohio State. Because that's, you know, you know, as well as I do, I had this conversation with uh, Zach Osterman of the Indy Star last week. You know, as those games roll on, there's things that separate programs from other programs. Well, Penn State's depth has has taken a hit, um, you know, with with the Parsons opt out with, you know, a couple of other injuries and things like that. And how far can Ohio State push them in, in third and fourth quarter? And what's that? What kind of impact is that going to have on them? You get to that second level. That's where I have a lot of the questions. Jesse Lucetta, who started at the will linebacker, is is out for the first half from a targeting foul uh, against Indiana. You and I could talk for a half hour on this podcast about targeting and ejections. I'm sure of that. We'll leave it to 140 characters on Twitter, um, but he's out for the first half regardless. Um, so that's going to be an issue. You, you've you got a lot of talent, um, young talent. Brandon Smith was a five-star. Uh, Lance Dixon was a five-star in 24-7 sports. Um, Curtis Jacobs is a freshman. He was a five-star in 24-7 sports. So a lot of talent there, but really not a ton of experience. And, and I think that's, you know, when you're playing a team like Ohio State, especially with a veteran quarterback like Justin Fields, who's going to try and, you know, dump it right over top of that zone in front of the safeties. Um, that's a uh, reason for concern. I love the corners. The Joey Porter Jr. and Tariq Castro Fields were phenomenal against uh, Indiana. 
safeties have some questions to answer uh, when they sit back and play two deep safeties. It was pretty good. Jaquan Brisker and, and Lamont were good. They moved Wade up to sort of a nickelback, sort of uh, they call the star, um, and played him in some man, and that that seemed to give uh, Penn State some trouble. So i uh, be interested to see how they handle that. I think they've got uh, talent and depth back there at corner. Safety is a little bit thinner and a li- little less experience. And then, of course, linebacker is a much different room without Michael Parsons. No doubt. And, you know, second to last thing here, what, for each team, what does Ohio State need to do to win this game? What does Penn State need to do to win this game? I think Ohio State, you know, you go on the road, especially for an atmosphere like the whiteout, and I think we talked about this a lot when Urban was there. You tend to clam up, clam up a little bit, go conservative, do what you got to do. I think if Ohio State opens it up, those receivers are so good. And Penn State, I don't know that they've got, you know, the. I, th- I think the corners can hang with receivers. I have questions about the safety, about the nickel guys. So Justin Fields will make you pay if, you know, if, if there's a slip, if there's something like that. That's it, it, What's interesting to me is a couple of years ago, they had Dwayne Haskins and obviously a first round pick and everything like that but you didn't fear Dwayne Haskins the way that you fear Justin Fields because Fields uh incredibly accurate but th- at that same time saw we saw last year in Columbus that he could pull it down run at any time and I, I think he'd prefer not to do that but just having the ability to do that and when you take off Justin Fields is a runner Dwayne Haskins is a runner two completely different things so I, I just think there's so many ways that Fields can hurt you and those receivers are good especially I mean those freshmen um are phenomenal and they're going to be really good for a couple of years so that's the thing that that when i look to what ohio state has to do if they keep it open if they keep it rolling i'm you know i'm not convinced that they're going to run all over penn state i know that they've got some some kinks to work out with that running game as they get the sermon sort of broken in but i think they can throw and i think they'll be able to uh to have success through the air yeah and, and how about penn state like what do you think penn state needs to do to to win this game Slow it down. I, I think the clock is, you know, something that they need to get on their side. It is seven minute drive to open the game against Indiana. If you can put it, put a couple of those together, you find yourself in a spot. It's, I think to me, it's one of those games where you fight through the first half and then through the third quarter, just to keep it close. And then you get to the fourth quarter in Beaver stadium, you got a shot. So um, they got to find somebody to hit some big plays. That's uh, it's going to think going to be a question mark for this team all year long. Um, but, you know, like I said, the, the mistakes that they made, a lot of that was execution. A lot of that uh, seems to be correctable. And you got to think uh, in this stretch uh, between games, if if week one to week two is the biggest improvement that you make all season, it's probably a good time for it because Ohio State's a, a heck of a talented football team. Sure. And last thing here, um, talk about this game. At some point, someone's got to win. What's your prediction? How do you think this game plays out? You've had like four last things for me, man. So, uh, well, I gave I, I you a second can... <laughs> to last thing, and then there we got the last thing. So, this is the last thing. This, I is, this is the last thing. I, you know, I've got Ohio State winning. Um, I, I see the line is about 12, 12 and a half right now. That two touchdowns seems about right to me. It's just, I have so many questions about whether or not Sean Clifford can, can be that guy. And, uh, I haven't put in a score prediction or anything like that on our site at lines247.com, but, I, I do have questions about whether Sean Clifford can be that guy and sort of uh, take it upon himself to not only keep it close, but to, to push it over. So I, I'd say I'd say that line sounds about right to me. I know you you think it's going to be a closer game, if I recall correctly from our conversations offline. I think it can be a close game, but 
those big plays and those um you know those talented receivers seem to reside more on one side on one sideline than the other yeah i hear you i i personally i'm I'm still going back and forth and what i want to do i i would take penn state with the points i have it in my book at 13 and a half i would take the points if i was I was betting on this game. I don't think I'm going to touch it because I don't know either of these teams. But I think I'm, I'm thinking something like 34-24. I think Penn State will have a little success on Ohio State's defense, which I think is still rounding into shape. But to your point, I just I just don't know if Penn State's going to be able to to keep pace with Ohio State on offense. I think Justin Fields. Um, you know, I think Penn State's going to play to to sell out and stop the run, whether that's Justin Fields or Master Teague or Trey Sermon or whoever that is. And I think they're going to say, all right, Justin beat us by throwing, you know, we're going to keep things in front of us and, you know, 10 yard, eight yard, seven yard us down the field. And as you said, try to slow that game down. I think on offense, they're going to try to do that too. But I just, I, I think there's going to be to your point. I, I don't know if Chris Olave is going to play or not yet, but Garrett Wilson and some of the younger receivers, Jamison Williams, and, and obviously Julian Fleming, I'm sure wants to have a big game in this one, but um, you know, I, I think they're going to make some, some plays, um, and I think Ohio State is going to do just enough. I think it's going to be, to your point, very close game going into the fourth quarter, and Ohio State is going to do just enough to, to be comfortable um, at the end with like a 10-point win. So, you know, we'll see what happens, but thanks, my man, for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Definitely, uh, you know, be, be a good host to Tony Gerdeman coming out this weekend for you guys. Um, limited spots in the press box out there, but we're happy we got one and, and looking forward to uh, chatting more about the game. You guys got a great group out there. I know a, a bunch of the the guys that have uh, culminated at Buckeye Scoop. I know you guys do great work, so I appreciate you having me on, and I appreciate uh, you know your fans are are always appreciated in my mentions. I'm sure, um, but thanks for having me on. This episode of Around the Oval was brought to you by Todd Pennington with Revolution Mortgage. If you've been thinking about refinancing or buying a house, check out our sponsor, Todd Pennington with Revolution Mortgage. They offer low rates for refinancing and home purchase loans, including first-time home buyer programs, down payment assistance, and cash-out home equity loans. Check out revolutionmortgage.com slash tpennington. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.